Good morning. My name is Jared Ott. I'm the executive pastor. We are so grateful that you're here this morning. We're starting a new series. As you see, it's called Courageous Stories of Faith. And over the next uh, number of weeks, uh, your lead pastor, Christian Andrews, and myself are going to be looking at various stories uh, throughout the Old Testament specifically about stories of, of courageous faith. And one of the things about courage is that it, courage really is an action, not just a feeling. We're all going through different things in life. One of the things I want you to do is keep in mind when we go through this series is to not just think of them as stories, but how we can relate to them because God always propels his will and plan forward through the courage of others. I'll say that again. God always propels his plan forward through the courage of others. We see that time and time again throughout the scriptures. So it's not just uh, a story that happened some time ago. It's ongoing with us now. But courage is always something that we are faced with. And in fact, it's, 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 it's an action because a lot of times there's, there's fear involved. There's there's stories of things that we're dealing with with a lot of fear. That's why Eddie Rickenbacker said this, courage is doing what you are afraid to do. There can be no courage unless you're scared. Isn't that great? No courage unless you're scared. In fact, there was a man who went to heaven, and Peter was there, and asked the gentleman, said, is there a time that you can remember when you showed courage despite fear? The man sat back and thought for a moment. He said, yeah, there was this one time we were riding through the Black Hills of South Dakota, and we came across across a, a biker gang, and they were threatening a young woman. And so I directed them to leave her alone, but they wouldn't listen. So I approached the largest, most muscular, most heavily tattooed biker of them all, and I punched him right in the face. I ripped out his nose ring, and then I kicked over his bike and said, if you ever, ever want to talk to her again, you'll have to go through me. And Peter said, wow, that was a lot of courage. When did this happen? The guy said, about a minute or two ago, right? <laughs> courage is an action, right? It's something that we have to do despite the fear. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at courageous acts of folks throughout the Old Testament. It's not it's not haphazard. We're going to try to go through them in somewhat of a chronological order. And as you see there, we gave you this, an Old Testament timeline. This is for you for reference because I think it's important for people to understand where folks fall in line in the history of the world. So you understand what they're dealing with, right? And so we're going to look at this Old Testament. I'm going to go through this right now. We're going to spend the next 47 hours going through the entire Old Testament <laughs> I know school's out. I'm going to give you the three-minute summary. Okay, you ready? I know school's out, but stay with me. It's important that you know this because you can see where they fall in line because as you, as you see, especially later on in this series, what folks are dealing with and the courage that they had despite the situation that they're in. So you have your Old Testament timeline there. You see, obviously, Genesis 1, we have creation. And during this time, it uh, we, we know about the creation story and we get to Genesis like five or six, and that's where we have Noah. We're going to talk about Noah here in just a few minutes, but Genesis is, is there. It's a universal history. Then you have the, the call of Abraham, right? 
Now, again, for some of you, you know this already, but for others, you're trying to figure out what the Bible, how this works. And so when you look at the Bible, you'll see many of the books are narrative, and then you'll see some of the books are, are prophecies and some are writings of those folks within the narratives. But you have uh, the call of Abraham that happens there, Genesis 11. And you remember the story of Abraham. There's Abraham, there's Isaac, there's Jacob. Jacob has how many sons? Twelve sons, right? God says to Abraham, you are going to be uh, the father of, of all the, the, the kingdoms here that, that happen. And so his offspring are the descendants, right? So there's 12 sons. And what happens, uh, they, they very numerous. And because of the, uh, the drought that happens, they go into slavery in Egypt. And so who goes and rescues them is Moses. You remember Moses and he goes to the, he goes to, um, the Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And he have all the 10 plagues that happen and finally lets them all go. So Moses, through the courage of Moses, God's plan moves forward, right? He has to go to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And then Moses takes all the Israelites out into the wilderness. As you see there, they're in the wilderness for how many years? 40, 40 years, right? And towards the end of that, they don't get into the promised land, but Moses sends out 12 spies 12 spies, two come back and say, we can take it, right? That's where Joshua comes into play. Joshua says, we can do this. And Joshua is, is hidden by Rahab. We're going to talk about Rahab in a little bit. And so Joshua comes back after being hidden from Rahab and says the land, we can take this land. And again, the courage of one person propels God's plan forward. So they enter into Canaan. Now the, the, com, the conquest is complete through Joshua. After some time then, Joshua dies and the people are looking for more leadership. So they, they say, we need more leadership. So they get judges, right? These judges are leaders. Some are more famous than others. Some are not so famous. You got Ehud and Othniel. But then you get some that you, we can recognize. You get Deborah, Samson, Gideon. Gideon is somebody that we're going to talk to, talk about in a little bit as well. During that time, you have Ruth. We're going to talk about Ruth as well. And then you have Eli, one of the last... Uh, uh, judges. Right after Eli, you have Samuel, the very last judge. Who's Samuel's mom? Hannah. Remember, Hannah is praying in the temple for a son, and she has a son. She dedicates him back to the Lord. We're going to talk about Hannah and the courage she had through prayer. And so Samuel here is the last of the judges. Then you turn it over, and the people say, hey, we want a king now. And so Samuel anoints the first king of Israel. You'll see in 1 Samuel 8 is Saul. And then Saul, then you have David, right? And that's kind of the highlight, the pinnacle of Israel's history. You have this huge kingdom with David. David's son is Solomon. And Solomon has more wealth and wisdom than, than, than people before him. And you have all those narratives for 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, and 1 Kings. And then Solomon has a son. He has a number of sons. One of them is Rehoboam, and one of the other offspring is Jeroboam. Rehoboam and Jeroboam uh, especially start to divide things. Jeroboam is a bad king. Jeroboam says, I, I want to start my own uh, uh, place. We want to split off so the 10 northern tribes, that's where we get the northern tribes, the tribe of Israel, split off. And then you have the southern tribes, and that's led by Rehoboam. Jeroboam is not the best king. You don't hear many kids named Jeroboam. Probably why, 
right? And so then Northern Kingdom goes on for a while, and now you have the Northern Kingdom getting into all kinds of trouble. They're turning away from God. You have the Baal prophets. That's where you get Elijah, right? You remember the story of Elijah? He's on the mountain, and he calls down the Baal gods to light this uh, big, um, big wood pile on fire that's all wet. We're going to talk about Elijah. Why? Because he's trying to show that his God is more powerful. That's also where you get Jonah, right? God says to Jonah, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Jonah's like, pass. I'm not going there, right? I'm going to get, and I'm going to go and go on a boat and then get swallowed by a whale. The southern, northern kingdom gets wiped out, as you see there in 722. And then you have the southern kingdom. That lasts a little bit longer, okay? Goes a little bit longer. Finally, they go into exile with, in Babylon. That's where you get Nebuchadnezzar, right? And you get the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and the fiery furnace. We're going to talk about those three. We're going to talk about the courage that Daniel had, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had, despite the Babylonian exile. And then, then they get, go back and restore the land with Nehemiah, rebuilds the walls, and they get to go back, and we end with Esther, a powerful story of Esther. We're going to talk about Esther. And in our last of this whole series, we go back to Job, somebody who had great courage despite all that he lost. So there's your Old Testament uh, summary in three minutes or less, right? So we're going to come back to that, but you need to understand how that fits in the history of things because what you'll see is different people dealing with different things throughout different parts of history, just like you deal with different things throughout your life as well. You know, these are courageous stories of faith. Understand this. One is that courage is an action. It's not just a feeling. God's plan moves through the courage of people. We saw that through Moses. We see that through Joshua. We're going to see that through Noah and Gideon, all the rest of these folks, that God's plan moves through the the courage of people. And we're going to see it with you. That it starts today, that God's plan starts now with the courage that we have, despite what we face, the things that God puts in our place, the things that God puts in our path. One of the great uh, Bible verses is from Hebrews chapter 11 that kind of refers back to many of these uh, ancients of faith, these, these men and women that had courage. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says this, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, an assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And so you have Hebrews 11 talking about all these folks. And it, and it references a lot of the folks that we're going to talk about. It talks about the faith of Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It talks about the faith of Rahab and Joshua and Gideon and David and the prophets. So Hebrews 11 talks about how the, the, that, that's the faith they had. It was confidence in what they did not know. This is what they were commended for. Now, when you look at this list, when you think of all these folks, he, I think some things come to mind and go, okay, they're in the Bible. They, they must have had supernatural powers, or maybe they were like perfect people. Absolutely not, right? God is looking for everyday, ordinary people like you and me that do extraordinary things. These people that we look at throughout the next few weeks are not perfect by any means. In fact, when you look at these people, you realize that Abraham lied. Sarah laughed at God's promises. Moses stuttered. David's armor didn't fit. Jacob was a liar. Solomon was too rich. Abraham was too old. And David was too young. Naomi was a widow. Paul was a murderer. So was Moses. Jonah ran from God. Miriam was a gossip. Gideon and Thomas both doubted. Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal. Elijah was burnt out. John the Baptist was known as a loudmouth. Martha was known as a worrywart. Mary was known as lazy. Moses had a temper. So did Peter and Paul. Samson had long hair. Noah got drunk, Peter was afraid of death, and Lazarus, he was already dead, right? 
So you have all these people that have all these issues, but God uses ordinary, everyday people to do extraordinary things. God always propels his plan and mission forward through the courage of others. Remember that God always propels his plan forward through the courage of others. This church would not exist unless it was for the courage of some people who said, we want to have a church right here. It always propels forward by courage. That's where it starts. But courage is an action. It's something that we have to do. But when we look at this list, we see that courage really has an inspiration, doesn't it? Courage has an inspiration. If you look at Hebrews 12, after they list all these folks in Hebrews 11, Hebrews 12 goes on to say this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Isn't that great? Isn't it great that we have stories from folks that have courage that we can look to, that we can be inspired by? Courage has an inspiration. You know, when you watch things on TV, anything they're trying to advertise, they always are trying to advertise what you want to be like or feel like or do, right? So when they're, they're advertising exercise equipment, you don't see the person who's totally out of shape, right, on this exercise equipment. Like, hey, do you want to look like this person? No, right? It's always the most fit people, the, the people that are the, the best looking, right? Musicians always look for people that, that they can inspire to be like or sound like. When Dave, our worship director, is going over his music, he does not come into my office and say, Jared, I want you to sing this because I want to make sure I'm on pitch when I go out there on Sundays, right? He doesn't come to me. No, he goes to people that, are, that are, are really good with music. We always are inspired by people who do things really well. And we can be inspired by those people from the Old Testament. You know, I've been inspired by a lot of folks in my life, not just pastors, but I'm inspired by, by men and women who have done some great things or who have endured, endured some great things. I look at men and women who go through some tough times in life. And I'm inspired because, not because they're going through a tough time, but because of how they're dealing with that tough time. Parents, I encourage you, when you're going through a tough time, what do your kids see? What do your kids see? It's not trying to avoid them seeing you go through a tough time. Is what they're going to learn is they're going to learn how to deal with certain things in life. When I sit down with people in counseling, it's not about just getting through what you're getting through. It's about showing others how you're going to get through what you're going to get through. Kids are inspired by parents who may have had some trouble in the past or have some financial issues or have some difficulties with their health. And you say, you know what? Mom and dad, they did pretty well with that. They had a lot of faith through that time. They didn't complain much. People are inspired by other people who have gone through some hardships in life financially and say, you know what, they didn't have much, but boy, were they pretty happy. Boy, they had a lot of courage for the, what they went through. Man, there's some folks that went down to um, Guatemala. Man, I'm, in, I'm inspired by them. Why? Because they stepped out in courage to go and do what they needed to do. When people look at your life, will they say, man, I'm inspired by them. Courage always has an inspiration. When it says we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, it's not that they're in heaven looking down upon us, uh, and so we're trying to impress them. Okay? Heaven wouldn't be heaven if those that we love were looking down on us, making a mess of this world. Because there's no more pain, there's no more tears, there's no more sorrow in heaven. Those looking down upon us would probably feel that pain and sorrow, knowing what we're going through. It's not so much that they're witnesses to us, is that we are witnesses to them. We see what they've done in the past. They all did something. They all had courage. 
And so we can be inspired too to say, you know what? They took a step of faith, even though they did not know what was going to happen. Even though that there was fear there, they still stepped out in faith. Maybe you. Maybe somebody's going to come into your path this week, a family member, a friend, somebody at work or, or, or school or wherever you're at that, that needs you to tell them about the love of Jesus and you do not know how it's going to end. You do not know how they're going to respond and there's fear there. I know it. Some of you need to go home and speak to your husbands or wives about some pain from your past and ask for forgiveness. You don't know what's going to happen. There's fear there, but the courage is there. You want to be inspired to go have courage knowing that God's in control. Courage always has an inspiration. Courage also has a preparation as well. You know, when you look at these folks, many of the folks that we look at, many of the folks that we're going to talk about, they, many of them already had a relationship with God. It wasn't they were just thrown in and all of a sudden that this courage just kind of just all of a sudden happened. We're going to see that from Noah. Courage has a preparation. Hebrews 12.1 says, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Listen, if we're going to go through life in this culture, if we're going to face the things that we need to face, whether it's our health or our finances or um, reaching out uh, in mission or serving or doing some other thing, we've got to have a relationship with the Lord right now. Some of you will say, I'm not going through anything major right now. I say, fantastic. This is where the relationship needs to start so you understand that, so you grow in your knowledge of the Lord. It starts right here, you coming in on Sunday mornings, worshiping the Lord, giving back to him, saying, listen, we're going to worship the Lord despite what's going on in the world. It involves getting together in small groups to say, listen, I want to be built up. I want to be equipped. I want to understand the Bible more. I want to be able to pray more fervently. I want to have more faith. Why? So that we can deal with the stuff that we're going to deal with. There's a preparation there. That's why it says, let us throw off everything that what hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Two things there, things that hinder and things that entangle. What would hinder? What would entangle? Things that hinder us are things that aren't necessarily bad, but they do keep us from the Lord. Things like, hey, I got to have a job. I got to work. That's great. But some people get so focused on work that they put that first above everything else. Other things that hinder would say, you know what? I got to relax. I got to have hobbies. Fantastic. Not bad things at all. It's when you put those priorities first before the Lord, that it becomes a problem. You say, you know what, I really don't have time to read the scriptures. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to get together in a group. I don't have time to go to church. Those are things that hinder. All good things the wrong priorities. The sin that so easily entangles are those things that, those attitudes, behaviors, actions that we have that actually pull us away from the Lord. Those things like addictions that we have. Those things like doubts that creep in and say, you know what? God's not going to provide here. There's absolutely no way that God's going to heal me or provide the funds I need or fix my family. There's no way. Those are the, th- those are the sin that comes up and entangles us. We say, you know what? I don't even need the Lord right now. So the Bible is saying, listen, if you want to have courage, you got to throw off those things that hinder. you got to throw off those things that entangle you. I heard a story of an Olympian who was a, he, he won all these medals and he was w- winning races all over and he asked him to come to America to run this race and he lost. He got in last place and people asked him why. He said, well, I gained a few pounds and I stopped exercising. I stopped preparing. What we're saying here is, listen, we got to prepare. We're going to see that Noah, Noah was a man that followed after the Lord. He had a preparation. Courage has a preparation, has an inspiration. Courage also has a dedication.
In verse 1 of Hebrews 12, it says, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I mentioned this last time I preached that one of my life verses, it's the race marked out for us. It's, it's my race. It's your race. We're not racing each other. If we did, we'd all be competing, right? I have a race to do as a pastor. You have a race to do as a, as a husband or a father or a work, somebody in a workplace or as a brother or somebody in school. You have a race to run. God puts people in your path to minister to. God puts people in your path so you can reach out to them. God puts people in your path so that you could be a witness to what he's doing. You have a race to run. Some of you are, have a race to lead groups. Some of you have a race to serve in various aspects. Some of you have a race to say, you know, we're going to sing or I'm going to do other things to worship the Lord. That's your race. It's fantastic. I'm not trying to be like Dave. I ask him all the time if I can sing. He says no, right? That's okay. It's not my race. Some of you will never be an executive pastor. That's okay. Not your race. I'm not trying to be like Pastor Christian, who's a wonderful preacher. It's not my race. It's good. I'm going to do what God's calling me to do. Inspiration, preparation, dedication. But here's the key is that courage always has a fixation as well. Verse, verse 2 of Hebrews 12 says this, fixing our eyes on Jesus. The author and pioneer and perfecter of faith, it goes on to say, consider him who endured such opposition so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. When you're running a race, the worst thing you can do is look at yourself, your feet, or the people next to you. You've got to keep your eyes straight ahead. You've got to keep your eyes straight ahead. Why? Because we don't know the details that will unfold. You've got to keep your eyes on the Lord. That's exactly what these people did. When they went through life, they, they focused their eyes on him. They were all called to something. We are all called to do something. But the key is, is you've got to keep your eyes fixed on him because he doesn't give us all the details. Boy, I wish he would. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if God laid out everything we need to do in life, right? He laid out how it was all going to work out when you did something, right? No. We've got to keep our eyes fixed on him. That's exactly what Noah did. He kept his eyes fixed on him. You know, we get this story of Noah. We see that Noah had all these characteristics. All these characteristics. We know the story of the flood. You know the story. Noah, the flood is coming. God is saying, listen, I'm going to wipe out all of mankind, except for you, Noah, you and your sons and their wives, your wife, you're going to build an ark. Animals are going to come in, the water's going to rise, and it's going to wipe out everybody except for you and your family. This is a literal flood. It happens in beginning of Genesis, Genesis chapter 5, 6, 7. Second, second Peter talks about, uh, Peter talking about how God will destroy the world by water, just like he did with the flood. This is not a figurative illustration. This is a literal flood. And so you have Noah. Again, courage is, God's plan is propelled through courage of others, through the courage of Noah. Noah's courage showed up in his faithfulness. That was his preparation. Verse 8 of Genesis 6 says this, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. He walked faithfully with God. Notice, he already walked faithfully before the flood came. 
He already walked faithfully. He already was walking with God before the tough time came. That is the key. We aren't waiting for the tough time to come, then we turn to God. It's not what Noah was doing. Noah was already walking faithfully with God before then. I want to encourage you. Are you walking faithfully with God? Would people say, yep, they're walking faithfully with God right now. They're dedicated to him. Noah, whose name means rest. Isn't that great? All the discord in the world, all the stuff that was happening, Noah shows up, and he's already walking faithfully with God. Are you walking faithfully with God? Noah's courage showed up then in his obedience. That's his dedication. In verse 4 of Genesis 7, it says, Seven days from now I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him to do. That's Noah's race. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? He doesn't have all the details. He, you know, God says, build an ark. The rain's coming. I'm going to put two of every animal on there. I would have stopped with, oh, wait a second. What's rain again? Like, it hasn't rained here ever, right? You want me to build a boat? What about these animals? I mean, so many details. How are you going to get all these animals on? When is the rain actually going to start coming? How am I actually going to build this boat? God does not give us every detail of life. When you're going through a journey in life, maybe you have an issue with your own health or your own job, or you're wondering what's going to happen next with your career, or maybe you're having some mental issue uh, problems and you're depressed or you're suicidal. You go, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. God says, listen, you don't have to worry about the end part of this. Just follow me one step at a time here. One step. That's all I need you to do. When God called my, myself and my wife, Deb, and our children to Renaissance Church, we didn't know how it was going to all unfold. We didn't get some memo from God saying, listen, you're going to go to Renaissance Church, and this is what's going to happen, and here's all the stuff. No. We go. We go. Some folks are going to a mission trip on, on Saturday to Guatemala. It's fantastic. We don't know what's going to happen there. We know ministry's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen there. Why are they going? Because it's their race. This is Noah's race. He says, listen, I'm going to go. I don't have all the information, God, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to be courageous. I'm going to get through it. This hardship in life. I'm going to go because I'm dedicated to you. I'm obedient to whatever you're calling me to do. And Noah, who walked faithfully with God, was in tune with what God was saying to him. And he understood what was right in front of him. When we walk faithfully with God, he puts people in our path. He puts opportunities in front of us, whether it's good opportunities or hardships that we have to go through. But we just have to be faithful to him. Why? Because we understand that he is in control. Didn't have all the info. But he knew that he had a race to run. Noah's courage showed up in his faithfulness, in his obedience. But ultimately, Noah's courage showed up in his patience. Verse 23 of Genesis 7 says, Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. Animals and the creatures that moved on the ground, the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those in the ark. The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. That's a long time. It rained last night for like 20 minutes, and I thought that was way too long, right? 150 days it was flooding the waters. 
Not only that, but Noah had to build this ark. We can kind of get how long it took Noah to build the ark based on some math. Genesis 7, 6, 17, 18 says, Go into the ark, your sons, your wife, your sons, and wives with you. Notice Noah already had sons who had wives. Noah didn't have his first son until he was 500 years old, right? Then the flood came 100 years later, right? You allow 25, 30 years maybe for his sons to grow up and have kids. That's, that's about 70 years to build an ark. 70 years. Can you imagine dealing with something for 70 years? They made an ark encounter in Cincinnati. If you've ever been there, they replica ark, and they tried to make it the same way that Noah made it. Same size, same tools. It took a thousand men six years. You got Noah, and boy, I bet he put his sons to work, huh? Okay, boys, time to get up, time to build that ark. 70 years. Some of you have been dealing with health issues for a long time. Some of you have been dealing with your own mind. You've been depressed for years and you feel like, is this ever going to end? Noah must have felt like, is this ever going to end? Is it ever even going to start raining around here? Noah, not only did he have to build the ark and had people coming up to him going, hey, what are you doing? Are you, are you crazy? You're building an ark? And he's still doing it for 70 years. And guess what? Then, then the pain really started. Then it started raining. It didn't end another problem came up, right? Some of you have gone to the doctor and, with cancer and had one scan say negative and then go back and another one pop up. You feel like it's one problem after another. You just got your marriage in order, now your kids are falling apart. You just got your career in order and then you lose your job. You just got some money and then now you have all these bills to pay. You just feel like you conquered one thing and now you have another decision to make. One thing after another, Noah had to deal with that is courage. Why? Because he had courage through his patience. It's a long time. It's a long time. The only way he could do it is he had to keep his eyes fixed on the Lord. It's the only way this would work. The only way it's going to work for you to get through with the trial that you're going through is to keep your eyes fixed on the Lord. Why? Because he's on the boat. He doesn't know how long necessarily the water is going to recede. Some of you don't know how long you're going to deal with what you're dealing with. But boy, was he faithful. You never hear him complaining either. You never hear stories of Noah talking about how miserable life was. You know what they say about Noah? It says that he was a preacher of righteousness in verse 7. A preacher of righteousness. So while he's going through this, he's telling everybody else what's going on. Isn't it great that when you go through life, when you go through tough times, how much it can inspire the people next to you? When you're going through a tough time and you can say, you know what, I don't know why I'm going through this, but I'm not going to complain. I'm going to keep my eyes focused on the Lord and I'm going to tell everybody else about it too. Boy, I've been inspired by people who have gone through some tough times in life. Why? Not because they're going through tough times, but because they keep their eyes focused on the Lord and they talk about what the Lord's doing in their life. When you're going through tough times, folks, are you, are you talking about what the Lord's actually doing? Are you talking about what you're learning are you talking about how the Lord's trying to teach you? I remember a gentleman that I knew very well. was another pastor friend of mine who had sickness after sickness after sickness. And every time I talked to my office, he never wanted to talk about his sickness. He goes, ah, I was in the hospital for like 10 days. I was like, really? You want to talk about it? He goes, no, I, I learned a whole lot about the Lord during that time. Man, was I inspired. 
Noah was there for a long time, but he was a, a preacher of righteousness. That's courage because we keep our eyes fixed on the Lord. You know, a few minutes we're going to sing a song about courage. But what it means to have courage. I hope that you are inspired by Noah, inspired by these folks, that we need to prepare ourselves. We need to be dedicated, right? But we also need to keep fixed on the Lord because sometimes we endure things for a long time. That's why I love what George Patton said, the General George Patton. He said, courage is fear holding on just a minute longer. Some of you feel like you're holding on as long as you can. Noah, I wonder if he ever got to a point in life where maybe he's on the boat and he's looking out and the only thing he can see is water. Water to the east, the west, the south, the north, water everywhere. And if you remember the story, he, he sends out a raven first and the raven doesn't come back. That must be pretty deflating, right? We get deflated by things in life, don't we? We think we finally have an answer. We we finally are going to get cured. We're finally going to get this job, and it goes away, and we feel like the sun sets on our hopes and dreams right then and there. Sun is setting. You know the feeling. You may not have been on the boat with Noah, but you know what it's like to look out and stand where Noah stood and know the feeling, your share of floods, floods at the sorrow at the cemetery, floods of stress at work, anger at the disability in your body or the inability of your spouse. You've seen the flood rotters rise and the sun set on your hopes and dreams and you're discouraged, you're depressed, and you have all kinds of doubt and you need what Noah needed. You just need one little sign and Noah gets it. One little sign. It says in Genesis 8:11, when the dove returned, he sent out. In the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. Isn't that great? Olive trees only grow at lower altitudes, so he knew that the water must have gone low enough. Boy, that peace must have came like a flood. Isn't it interesting that the universal sign of peace is a dove with an olive leaf in its beak? because that's where the peace comes. We're reminded that, you know what? We don't know all the details. We don't know how long we're going to endure something. We just know that God's in control, right? That's okay. It was once said, hope is like an olive leaf, evidence of dry land after a flood. Some of you need some hope this morning, and I'm telling you, the Lord is here. He's got a plan for you. We got to prepare ourselves. We got to be dedicated to Him. We got to keep our eyes fixed on Him. So, to all the Noahs out there this morning looking for some courage, know that it's right here. It's an action, taking a step forward, saying, you know what? I love what the Lord's doing in my life. So, I'm going to prepare myself. I'm going to be dedicated to Him. And I'm going to keep my eyes forever fixed on Him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. I thank you that we can, like Noah, have courage. Lord, you know that there's people in this room who are dealing with stuff and they've been dealing with it for a long time. Lord, I pray you give them some peace this morning. And Lord, there's some people in here who maybe feel like a call in their life to serve or to get out or to share your love or to 
host a group or to get involved in a discussion group, Lord, help them have courage to do so. Despite what they don't know, give them courage. Because you always propel your plan through the courage of your people. So I pray for courage this morning, despite the fear, courage to follow after you. We thank you for what you're going to do. I ask all this in your precious and holy name.